this series, and I wonder if we had a few children in front of us, which we don't, if we said, draw a cross, how would that look? I'm sure some of them would say a plus sign when we're adding together. I'm sure some of them would write maybe a multiplication sign, or is it a cross sign, as in, you've done the answer wrong on your schoolwork? Or maybe a cross for um, a kiss you'd put in a card or on a text. I'm a terrible one. I always do it on the end of a text. I think, oh, I've sent a kiss. But it's, it's a bit of a habit. So lots of different symbols of the cross. But this symbol of the cross is one of the most widely recognized in the whole world. And I've traveled a lot of places, and there's always a cross. It might be on a steeple in a church. It might be on a doorway. It might be on a necklace around somebody's neck. It might be on another piece of jewellery. It might be a souvenir. But the cross is such a widely understood symbol. But sometimes we forget what it really means. And I think myself and people who've been in church or around teaching of the cross for many years sometimes can lose what it's really about. And this place of the cross, when I was in Israel, I went uh, the last time they went, and um, there was a place where they think um, Jesus may have been crucified, and, and it was now like a bus station. It was just busy. There was, there was like um, a cliff where you could see perhaps the shape of the skull, and it, it was a, a fascinating place to see, but it was busy. The fact is, it wasn't some sanitized place. It was in a, a dump it was outside the city. It was a place reserved for criminals. If you saw a cross, you knew it was a place of death. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. This is a place of death. But for us, and this is one of the wonderful things about the cross, there's so many exchanges that happen for us because of the cross. And there's one exchange I want to talk about this morning, and that is... The death on the cross brings us life. So we are going to talk about that this morning. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 2 and 1 and 2. This is the title of this series, and it's actually the verse I want to look at firstly. We're going to be going all over the New Testament and the Old Testament today. Um, let me just find it. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. Now, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. It says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul, the Apostle Paul, if he was here this morning, he would have lots of fancy words to say. He was a very, very clever man. He knew the law. He knew his Bible. He was a theologian. If he had degrees, he would have had degrees as long as his arm. The Apostle Paul had lots of wonderful things to say. But here he says... I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, 
but I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For the Apostle Paul, this was the most important thing. I'm going to go on about Christ and I'm going to go on about him crucified. And the fact is, when we know about the cross and what Jesus did on the cross, we get to know Jesus. We get to know him. So, we're going to go back into the um, Old Testament. <laughs> Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the cross. And I think it's really important today that we look at how this cross was one of death, was a symbol of death, but for us today, it's a symbol of life. Mark 14 says this, verse 24, and it's, this is a familiar um, thing we read out as we take communion often. Um, but I want to try and demystify some of these things that we talk about often at church so we really understand them. Mark 14, verse 24, he was with his disciples and he was having the last supper with them. And as he gave them uh, the, the wine, he said, this is, my, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So what's a covenant? The Bible's full of big words that we kind of think we get it, but we, <laughs> we don't always. In very simple terms, it's a, it's a relationship between two partners who make a binding promise to one another and work together for a common goal. It's different than a contract, though, as these are relational and personal. A marriage is a covenant. So God made a covenant. And the Old Testament, so in, in the Bible, we've got an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament was before Jesus came, and the New Testament is after Jesus. And the Old Testament was governed by this old covenant. And God made this agreement, this covenant with the Israelites, with the Jewish nation to protect them if they kept the law and were faithful to him. The Old Covenant was governed by the law that prescribed certain behaviours, but the people continually broke that law. We all probably aim to live life within the law, but there are times when we break it. Last year, I broke the law. Hands up. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, um, I got caught on camera. I got, it was, I got a speeding fine. We've all been there, haven't we? It was only about two or three miles over the speed limit. I was doing faster than 30 in a 30 zone. And even though it was just a tiny bit over breaking the law, it wasn't really a big deal, and we all do it, the fact is, we all broke, I broke the law. And the fact is, I had to pay for breaking that law, even though it felt very unjust to me, because I normally, you know, stay in the speed limit. Hamish, on the other hand, has uh, got away with it many a time. Uh, it will, he'll get his comeuppance at some point, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I had to pay for it. I think about 80 quid and an afternoon of my time. When we break the law, we have to pay for it. And this was the same for God's law. God gave the Israelites a law. And could they keep it? They tried to keep it, just like we tried to keep it. But they couldn't keep it. We try and keep the law, but they couldn't keep the law. The Israelite people tried and failed tried and failed. They couldn't keep the law and they had to pay for it. Their sins, the Bible calls law breaking 
sin. And they couldn't keep the law, and it needed to be paid for. And the way the broken law, or sin, needed to be paid for in the Old Testament was one of animal sacrifice, which seems a bit strange um, in our modern-day life. It's not something that we think about or talk about. But this was the system that God used to, to make payment for their sin. So an animal, it had to be a pure, spotless animal, either a goat or a sheep, um, any animal that was pure and spotless. And that animal was killed. And the blood of that animal was taken into the Holy of Holies, the holy place, by the priest. Only the priest was allowed to do this. God appointed priests. Because the people weren't yet allowed to approach God on their own. God was holy. So this sacrificial system temporarily removed the people's sins. So the priest went to God with the blood of this perfect animal and asked God to forgive the sins of the people. And God would do that. But this was temporary. It was a way of making atonement. Now, atonement's another big word. It's doing something right to make up for something that was wrong. Okay, so this was the way that they made the sins of the people right with God. So why? Why is sin? Why is, this, why is sin such a big deal? What is it? Well, sin entered the world right at the beginning of time. You know, when it, the Garden of Eden, we had a perfect relationship with God. Adam and Eve talked to God, walked with God. There was peace, there was no pain, there was no suffering. There was nothing wrong in the world. There was this perfect relationship with God. And we all know the story that one day they were tempted to do the very thing that God told them not to do, to eat of the tree of good and evil. And from that moment, it all went wrong. Sin at its very core is deciding to do things our own way rather than God's. And sin came into the world. And sin is a big deal because it separates us from God. There is pain and brokenness in the world. We all feel the effects of that. And sin is serious. Sin is anything below God's perfect standard. We often diminish our sin, don't we? It really wasn't that bad. <laughs> and we can often big up other people's sins. Oh, that was terrible. But when it's us, <laughs> sorry Dave, when it's us, we try and diminish it. But sin is a big deal. And we've all sinned. The religious leaders in Jesus' day said, oh, thank goodness we're not like those sinners. And Jesus used to tell them off. He said, I haven't come for ones that don't need me. I've come for sinners. We are all, all sinners. And we can play it down, but the Bible makes it clear that we've all sinned and we've come short of God's standard, God's perfect standard. Romans 3, it's a well-known verse, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23, this is why sin is such a big deal. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we get paid 
a day's wage, okay? When we do a day's, an honest day's work, we get paid a wage, that is a wage. And it's a deserved payment for that work. And the Bible clearly says the deserved payment for our sin, whether big or small, all of us, is death. The payment for us is death. The Lord really showed me something about the condition of our hearts and our sin quite a long time ago, but it's an example I'm going to share with you. When we were in Southport, when we lived um, up north, we had a big garden. It's a lovely big garden, and the children were small. They used to play out. Someone said to me, Rachel, do you want some um, furniture, some garden furniture? I thought, oh, yeah, that'd be great. She said, it's nothing special. It's just kind of plastic furniture. And I said, yeah, bring it round. Then it needs a bit of a clean, but that's I said, that's fine. So she brought these chairs around. And I, was, I thought, it's a lovely day, similar to this, a sort of a spring day. I thought, right, I'll clean them chairs, I'll give them a spruce up. And so I started, I got the hose pipe out and, and I sprayed them down. I, I used fairy liquid, I did all the right stuff. And I thought, they're not looking any cleaner. And, and they just wouldn't get clean. And um, anyway, I thought, right, I need a scouring brush. I also need some heavy-duty cleaner. And I even got the bleach out because there were white chairs, but there just was the horrible sort of dirty look all over them. And I was scrubbing them and scrubbing them with bleach and a scouring pad, thinking, they've got to get clean. And I just couldn't get them clean. And I looked and I looked, and the dirt was so deeply ingrained, scratched into the surface, there was no way, whatever I did, that I could get these chairs clean. And the Lord spoke to me that day. He said, that's what you're like. You can't make yourself clean. We cannot make ourselves clean on our own. This sin is kind of ingrained in us. We try, don't we? We try. And there's some wonderful people. People are good. People do some wonderful things. This congregation do some wonderful things. But essentially, we are still short of God's standard, and we cannot get ourselves clean. So why? What do we do about it? Well, we need a solution for our sin. And thank goodness, this is why we needed God to rescue us. So first of all, why the blood? We sing about the blood of Jesus such a lot, and I often wonder, do people, if, if you were an outsider coming into church and we were all singing about blood, you'd probably think, oh, weirdos, that's a bit strange. But why is the blood so important? Well, all of us here have probably got between about, I did look this up on the internet, so I'm no doctor, somewhere between about seven and ten pints of blood cursing through our veins. And without that blood in your body, you would not be able to live. I don't know if some of you have ever been a blood donor. I know probably some of you are, and that's a great thing to do. I would recommend being a blood donor. I looked on the NHS website, and it said, giving blood saves lives. And it really moved me. Giving blood saves lives. In the Old Testament, remember the Old Covenant before Jesus came, Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, the life of a creature, it's in its blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for 
for one's life. And Hebrews 9, verse 22 says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The fact was, the Israelites could not be given, be given forgiveness for their sin without the shedding of blood. And the Jewish people would have known this. This was symbolism that they would have understood and known. But thank goodness for us today, in comes the New Testament, the new covenant. And we see that Jesus enters the scene. In John 1, verse 29, John the Baptist looks at Jesus. He sees him coming. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was called the Lamb of God, this sacrificial lamb that would take away the people's sin. But Jesus was going to give his own blood to take away the sin of the whole world. We just can't sort our sin out on our own. And just like the lamb that was sacrificed in the Old Testament, we would see God laying down his, his own life so that his own blood would cover and make payment for every sin of every person. And Jesus gave his blood on the cross for us to have life. The difference between the Old and the New Testament was Jesus' sacrifice was not temporary, but it was once and for all. And it was a gift for everybody that would receive it. It wasn't just for the Jewish people, it was for everybody, everybody. His blood offers forgiveness for our sin and reconciliation to God. He took our rightful punishment. The wrath and judgment were poured out on him and not us at the cross. It should have been us in the place of death. But he took it on himself and he laid himself down to do that because he loved us. Isaiah 53. Isaiah is a great chapter in the Old Testament which prophesies about what Jesus would do. In between the Old and the New Covenant, it prophesied what Jesus would do. He says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was punished. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jeremiah, also one of the big prophets in the Old Testament, prophesied about this new covenant, this new thing that was gonna happen in Jesus, Sin's payment once and for all. It says, I will take, in, in chapter 31, I will take my law, the law, the old law. I will take my law and I will write it on your heart, no longer on tables of stone, but I will, I, I will write it on your heart. I will be your God and you will be my people and I will forgive your sins 
and remember them no more. This new covenant was one of open access to God through the one and only sacrifice of Jesus. We see this so clearly in the book of Hebrews, and please read it when you get home. Hebrews 9, it says this. He did not enter, sorry, uh, Hebrews 9 verse 12. It's talking of Jesus. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, obtaining, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. But how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Jesus' blood was the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Remember, without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. I remember our son, Seth, coming home. Um, actually, Paul, could you just bring a little, a, a little illustration for me? I remember Seth, as a young boy, coming home. He'd been out on his bike after school, came home covered in blood. He'd fallen off his bike. He was like, Mum, this is really cool, like young boys do. Um, he was covered. I was like, oh, what have you done? He had grit in his lip. He was, oh, he was a, he was a mess. <laughs> okay. And I tried. I don't know whether you, I shouldn't really say mums do the washing. My husband does washing as well as me. But if you've ever done washing and tried to get a blood stain out, you will know it's one of the hardest things to get out. And I'm told that even in a crime scene, blood is detectable when it's been cleaned and it's not by the naked eye. You can't see it by the naked eye, but, but we can still see blood. Blood stains are terribly difficult to get out. They really, really are. And I want you to think about this concept that Jesus' blood covers every stain underneath. Now, I like painting, um, and I often overpaint paintings. Several paintings in my house was a painting of something else before, and I get a bit bored of it, or I think, mm, I never really liked that. Or sometimes I just paint a picture and I think, it's not right, the marks aren't right. There's just, yeah, don't like it. It's got a hole in it. Uh, and what I'll do, I'll think, I'm gonna paint over that. So, I think our lives can sometimes be like this painting. Marks that we don't like. Sin stains, like on the chair, that we can't get out. Stuff that's happened to us. Stuff that we have done that we cannot change. Regrets that we have. All of this stuff is like our lives that's a bit of a mess. Some of you may feel like you've got it all together. Some of you may feel like your life is a bit of a mess and you wish you could start all over. And I want you to realise today, and I'm just going to simply... Do a bit of painting, because I like painting. 
that Jesus' blood actually covers over everything. I'm not going to do the whole thing because we'll be here all day, and I'm sure you're going to want your lunch. But Jesus' blood paints over every mistake. It covers every sin. The sins that you think couldn't possibly be covered. The mistakes you think are too hard to forgive. Jesus' blood completely and utterly covers it. You get the idea. Jesus' blood covers every stain. It obliterates every stain. Jesus' blood covers every stain. And I want you to, as we come in to, to closing fairly soon, I want us to think about the story in Exodus. Another story about the Passover. And in Exodus 12, I'm just going to read it to you. On the, um, Exodus 12, verse 12, it says, on that same night, it was after the, the, the children of Israel, you'll remember the story, well, you might not know the story, if you don't, it, it was, they were in slavery in Egypt, and Moses was told, take the people out, and Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, and so God sent plagues in order to, 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 to get um, Pharaoh to, to not resist letting the people go. And on this last plague, God sent a very serious plague, and it was to kill the firstborn in every house. It says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. When I strike Egypt, I can just imagine the Israelites enslaved for years, Pharaoh still not letting them go, completely enslaved, prisoners, and God tells them, take a lamb and, and, and paint, paint over the doorways. Is it going to work? Are we really going to be saved? Is our son, is our firstborn son going to be saved? Are we going to be safe? Are we going to be rescued? Painting it on their door frame. And God sent the angel of death over. And, and I just was thinking... The angel of death wasn't having a conversation. Is this person worthy of being saved? Is this person worthy? What have they done? No. What did God tell? He said, just look for the blood. That's all they needed to see. When he saw the blood, they were saved. And that is all we need to know this morning about our forgiveness. Jesus the only way we can be forgiven, the only way we can be brought from death to life is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. We're going to sum up in a minute. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus paid our wage of sin. 
because we couldn't pay it, we couldn't sort it out ourselves. And he died in our place so that we could receive this gift of spiritual life, that we could be reconciled to God. And just like in the Old Testament, the blood made atonement for the people's sin, Jesus became our atoning sacrifice. Christian atonement just simply means to suffer the penalty for sin, thereby removing the effects of sin from the repentant sinner and allowing him or her to be reconciled to God. This is a place of death for Jesus. He died, he took the punishment on himself, but it's a place where our sin can be completely cancelled, where we can be completely set free. We are wiped clean. The stains of the past are underneath the blood of Jesus. We are cleaned and we are offered full and complete forgiveness. So what does that really mean for us this morning? How do we respond to this? How do we live in the light of of what Jesus did for us? How do we receive forgiveness? Well, it's an exchange. And I'm I'm just going to point us to the story of the thief on the cross. Remember, Jesus was... He was crucified with two others, two other criminals. They were there, rightly so. (laughs) They'd done something that deserved punishment. And I'm just going to read you Luke's account, Luke 23, verse 40. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's two things we can learn from that story. The thief recognised his own sin. He recognised he deserved punishment. And he realised that Jesus was the only one to save him. And that is us this morning. We cannot sort our sin out. We cannot scrub ourselves clean. The only one that can do that is Jesus through the shedding of blood which brings forgiveness. The thief put his trust in him that day he reached out to him so I wonder whether Andy would come up with the ban and we're just going to respond to Jesus now as we worship him how do we respond maybe this morning you've never realized that you need forgiving you've never realized you thought you were good enough and you've never realized your need of forgiveness. And you want your debt of sin cancelled out this morning. You can experience the love and the peace of God. He sent Jesus to pay the great cost of your sin, not out of compulsion, 
but out of love for you. There's a famous and beautiful verse in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Just like the thief, we need to be honest, confess our sin, ask for his forgiveness and trust in the finished work of Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us from all and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or maybe today you've been a Christian for a while or you've been coming along to church for a while. And you've forgotten how much you've been forgiven. Or maybe you've been beating yourself up. You feel like that old picture that's really just stained and broken and unused and needs to sit in a dusty basement. And you've been dragging around for way too long sin and stuff that God has already forgiven on the cross. And you're still weighed down with a sense of shame and a sense of, I'm never good enough. Well, that makes lots of us, none of us are good enough. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross covers everything. And his blood covers everything. So I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm going to get Jeff to come up. And to lead in that, we're just going to respond to Jesus. I would ask you as well, if you're like the thief on the cross that realise you need forgiveness, make a move towards Jesus this morning. He confessed that he knew Jesus was the only one that could save him. It's a good thing to say, that's me, I'm going to respond. If some of you, and you may have been here for months, and you've only just, it's only just gone from here to here, that you need the blood of Jesus to forgive you. Make a move. Come down. Come down to the front. There'll be people that will pray with you and help you in this relationship to Jesus. We can be reconciled. The new covenant was so much better than the old one because it was about everyone had access. Everyone has open access to God through Jesus. We can have a relationship with Jesus. We've been brought from death to life. If anyone wants prayer this morning, you just want to respond, this is a safe place, just come and people will pray with you. And there's um, three little simple statements that we can make in prayer this morning. Every one of us really, and perhaps you've never done this or perhaps you're a Christian and uh, you need to do it afresh. But um, you can say sorry. <laughs> you can say sorry for the things I've done wrong. And, and like Rachel has reminded us, as every one of us this morning, we've all got stains. We've all got uh, things that we've done wrong. And we can say this morning, I'm sorry. And, and then we can say um, thank you to, to Jesus. Thank you that you did die on the cross for me. Thank you that you came 
and paid the ultimate price. You paid the debt that I could never pay. And thank you for that. And then you can say, please, <laughs> please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please change my heart. Give me that soft heart that Jeremiah talked about. And uh, please uh, save me. Maybe you've never prayed that before this morning. And you want to ask Jesus to save you, to forgive you, to give you a fresh start, to become a Christian, a Christ follower. So let's pray together, all of us this morning. If you're watching online as well, you can join us with these three statements. Let's by starting, if you close your eyes, if it helps you, but say, Lord, sorry. We, we've all broken the law, all of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All every single one of us. So Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry for what we've done wrong and for the things where we fall short, for the stains that are so ingrained. We're sorry, Lord. And you might say that for the first time this morning, a recognition for the first time of your separation from God. And thank you. Let's say thank you as we look at the cross afresh, as we lead into Easter, we look at that cross. We look at Jesus hanging there. We look at him saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We think of him being forsaken and separated from his father. We think of him who was without sin, who took our sin upon him. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. We can all of us say that this morning. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Thank you, Jesus. And you may say this morning, please, and please come into my heart. Please forgive me. Please save me. Please give me a fresh start. Please wipe my slate clean. Please cover me with your blood, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your death upon the cross. We thank you for the life that you give us. The life is in the blood, and the ultimate life was in the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of a new covenant. And we all need to pray those prayers this morning, but if you've prayed them for the first time ever, and you are turning to Christ, and you want to be a Christ follower, a Christian, if you're watching online, you can email us at contactplymouthchristiancenter.org. If you're here in the building, you can speak to one of us, to Rachel, to one of us, one of the pastors, one of the church leaders. And we'd be very happy to talk to you and place a booklet in your hand and help you with your next steps of what it is to be a Christ follower.